Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 simply says this, and don't be weary in well-doing. Let us not be weary in well-doing. Did you notice this in the King James Version, um, which I just quoted the fir- first part of that from the King James Version, which is really the most accurate here. When Paul says, let us. Now, I don't know about you, but this is interesting to me. Here's a man. He includes himself in the very admonition he's given to people. He didn't say, now make sure you. He said, let us. Now here's a man by the sovereignty of God, was ordained by God, moved upon by the Holy Spirit to write 14 books of the New Testament. He he received revelation that the original 12 apostles did not. He had so much more revelation than Peter had so much more revelation action than all the original 12 apostles combined. As a matter of fact, he, he saw things, when he was taken to the third heaven, he saw things that in some regards probably, if not surpassed or eclipsed what John saw in the Isle of Patmos recorded in the book of Revelation, that Paul at least saw things that very likely showed the consummation of those things that are still held in shroud in a mystery in the book of Revelation. And that's why Paul said, they are unlawful for me to utter. Meaning God would not release me to even say or explain what I saw when I was in the third heaven. Here is a man who was stoned to death and brought back to life. And that's what most theologians believe is when he had the revelation taken to the third heaven. Because you can really only go to the third heaven if you die. And then, and then by the sovereignty of God and by his uh, uh, omniscience and his plan for you, he allows you to come back to this earth. We have someone actually in this crowd that falls in that category, Erlinda. But anyway, so when Paul was in the third heaven, he, he, he received this great revelation. There again, many theologians think it was better than, I say greater, not better, greater, and, and explaining what John just saw in, in Great Mysteries. So here's this man established all these churches throughout Asia Minor, throughout different parts, even of Rome, all throughout the provinces of Rome. I mean, here's a man that had experienced so much in his life, uh, cast out demons with his word. There was so much anointing in his life that when he was in Ephesus establishing a church, it went from 12 people to eventually, when he turned it over to Timothy, and before Timothy was martyred by people by the city rulers, for what that's worth, the political elite, for what that's worth, the political elite and, and Hollywood, and, no, but uh, the political elite, and, which I'm not making this up, but primarily the, the ruling class elites were the ones that killed Timothy while he was the pastor and apostle who succeeded Paul in the church of Ephesus. Yet you, you, you had a population of over half a million people in those days and times, and over 400,000 were Christians. So, so, of course, you know, had to kill that because it was ruining their, their industry. So, but anyway, uh, so Paul goes from a church. He, he starts with 12 people, builds it up to hundreds of thousands, turns over to Timothy. But anyway, uh, just, just all the extraordinary things he did. And if you're not careful, you can overlook powerful things like this. When Paul said, let us not grow weary. In well-doing. Oh, back to that. I got sidetracked. Back to that. Uh, when he was in Ephesus, there was such a strong anointing upon him. The Bible says, brings out two things, that uh, people would bring handkerchiefs 
They would bring articles of clothing to Paul. He would pray for them, pray over them. People would take those back to their family members or friends who were sick and dying. They would lay those articles of clothing on them. People would come back to life or be completely healed. Also, they would take them and lay those articles of clothing that he just prayed over. And they would lay those articles of clothing over people who were demon-possessed. And demons were driven out by an article of clothing that Paul prayed over. And the Bible goes on to say that there were all types of, I love this word in the King James Version, there are all types of unusual miracles in Ephesus. So that, 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 that's, that, that's just one microscopic portion of his ministry. Doesn't even include what occurred at Corinth, Lystra, Derby. Just go down the list, right? And of course, in Galatia. So all of these wonderful things occurred. And that this one thing I love so much about Paul, what was, was his vulnerability. Not to the point of weakness, but he was just letting people know that. You ever notice this too? On the vast majority of epistles, one, one time or another, many times in the closing portion, he would say, oh, remember to pray for me. Now here's people, most of them he led to Christ. I mean, they were, they were infantiles, spiritually speaking, compared to him. But he still said, make sure you pray for me. So there, 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 there was this no big I, little you with him. It was like, man, I need your prayer. As long as you know, I taught you how to pray. As long as you're praying right, as long as you're praying right for me, I need your prayers, right? I covered your prayers. But anyway, uh, so you get into Galatians chapter 6, and he says this, verse 9, let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So he wrote that. You talk about his vulnerability. You talk about his humanity. He's just laying it all out of the line. He's letting them know just by reading that. He's letting you know that, listen, I've struggled in this area too. There have been times that I have gotten weary. Not to the point of quitting though. See, it's one thing, and it's a common thing in many regards. Hear me out on this. It's, it's common that when you are pressing toward the prize, the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, and you need the breakthrough, you need healing, you need understanding of what you're to do with your life, all those kind of things. And many times it's all combined, sometimes. You're going through struggles, battles, you're going through hell and high water. You are pressing toward the fulfillment of a given answer, and your prayers are what you've been asking, Right? So in the midst of that, if we're totally honest, in the midst of it, especially if it doesn't happen in 2.3 seconds. If it doesn't happen almost instantaneously, and especially it goes into weeks, months, years, and how about a decade or more, and we still haven't seen it. Now, we've gotten grace delivered to us along the way. God has sustained us. He's encouraged us. He, he, he's renewed our hope, renewed our vision, renewed our passion and all that toward that given thing even. But simultaneously, there is somewhat, if we're not careful, there can be a weariness that really begins to deplete our spiritual drive. Anyone want to be honest besides Paul, me, and say amen to that? We've all been there, right? So we've all experienced at one point or another. So what he's focusing on is not that. He's focusing on the reality of it, but not on the inevitability of it. 
There again, it's one thing to realize it happens, and you're normal, you're human, you still got a lot of flesh there. And just because, you know, we still have a lot of flesh that's trying to work, at, work within us, it doesn't mean it's all sinful. Sometimes just weak. When disciples wouldn't pr- couldn't pray for the one hour in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, it wasn't that they were sinning. They were just weak. So, so they, they were faint in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's what Paul, and that's what I'm endeavoring to do right now, is try to help us to be ready for the day of adversity. The powerful scripture, I've used this before. I didn't plan on it today, but let me, Holy Spirit's prompted me to share this with you again. Remember in the word of God it, that declares that the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. That the children, and of course that's figuratively speaking. So the children in this case was the miracle, was the breakthrough, was the healing, was the deliverance, was, was the, 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 the answer that I needed. So the children have come, come to birth. I mean, they're, 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 they're ready to be delivered, but now there's no strength to bring them forth. You have fainted. Before they were delivered. That's what I'm dealing with here. And that's what we need to understand. We cannot fall into that. Yes, we get discouraged from time to time. Yes, at times we feel a little bit weak. Yes, there are some times we may feel a little bit, maybe just for a moment. So I I don't confess that. It's like, uh, get real. That's not my confession. It's not your confession. The issue is the reality of it. It happens. But we do not succumb to it. That's what Paul is dealing with. That's what, that's what I'm endeavoring to help us with is that, listen, let us not grow weary in well-doing. Let, make sure we don't do this. Why? Because the children, the dream, the desire, the hope, the aspirations, the breakthrough, the miracles, the healings, the advancement in life, on your job, and your vocation, and your financial, socioeconomic standing. It is now on the horizon. You cannot faint now. You cannot grow weary now. Amen. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, in doing good, right? We've defined that. don't want to go over all that again. For in due season, this always bears repeating to me, due season means, we looked at it last week, Bottom line, here's what it means. The inevitability of God answering what you've asked him to do. There is a due season. Remember we tied it in as Paul did the, the agrarian principle here? Because this, by and large, this was, an, this was, this was the breadbasket in many regards of the ancient world. That's why you see a lot of these agrarian principles that he's using, especially even here. Sowing and reaping and all of that. Now here, of course, there's a due season. You sow something, it is inevitable, it will come to you. When you sow it and you take care of it. So, Pastor, how, how do I take care of things when I sow? Keep exercising faith. And don't give up. It'd be like this. You go, you go plant something. You go plant something. And if you don't tend to it, if you don't water it, if you don't nurture it, it's going to die. Especially through the summer months here. You got 90 plus days straight of 187 degrees plus. No let up, no rain in sight. The lows at night are 112. I mean, you know, you, 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 that plant is going to wilt. It's going to wither up and die. So it is in the spiritual. When you plant a seed of faith, 
you plant a plant already, already. Do you, do you realize, let me help you with this. When I sow the word of faith to you, when someone is sowing the word of faith to you, giving you God-given principles, biblical precept, line upon line, precept upon precept, right? And, and, you're, and you're receiving that. Let me help you with this. And you've, rece- you've, you've heard it even more than one time. Even when you hear it initially. The seed is sown, but do you realize this is what happens almost simultaneously? It's not just in a seed form, it's in a plant form. So when the, when the word of God is sent forth to you, especially when you get mature and develop, when God gives you his word, when he reiterates your word, are we getting all this? You need to listen to this this coming week several times. When God reiterates his word to you, even though it's a familiar promise to you, do you realize it, it, it transitions from a seed form to a nursery form? Nursery, I'm talking about from a botanical perspective. When you go to a nursery, which I don't know about you, but I love to go to nurseries. Everything's beautiful there. It's lush. It's green. I just like to build a house in the middle of a nursery. Wow, I love this. Love this. So when you go there and, 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 and you make an exchange with them, and what, what constitutes that exchange is that you took the time and effort and there was a part of you that you gave up to receive a part of that given nursery, the tree, the plant, the bush, whatever. And it's now not a seed form. It's full grown in many aspects. It may be young, but it's still it's grown. Do you realize when you come week to week, see, this is a spiritual nursery. I need to do a series on, on uh, the botanical aspect of God, God's botanical garden, which you are that. That's right. We're, we're called trees. We're called plants. We're called vines. Why? Is because what God does with us, especially when we exchange our faith, when we have invested our faith and we exchange it into the spiritual realm, what God does, he doesn't, he doesn't give seeds anymore. Now he's starting to give us plants. And, and he's starting to give us trees. And the more you invest, you start getting some bigger trees. Because, see, you can go to a nursery. And if you invest enough, you can buy a 60-inch box tree. Now, what that means is this. It's five feet by five feet by five feet square. It's a cube. It's a big tree. Now, it's going to cost you some money. It's going to cost you a lot of money. You're going to have to do a lot of of exchanging to get that grown tree. But so it is in the spirit. So see, as you keep progressing in God and you keep growing in God, God doesn't just scatter the seeds over your life. Now you get to the place because he has entrusted you with a little. You've been faithful over the few things. Now he sees that I can entrust you with some larger things to plant in your life. 
Because it's like this. It's like this. If a homeowner can't take care of their Bermuda grass, which Bermuda grass will, will grow any and everywhere. Bermuda grass will grow where you don't want it to grow. Bermuda grass will grow in between the concrete. I got four people know what Bermuda grass is. Do you know, do you know in, 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 in Africa where it originated from, do you realize that Bermuda grass is an invasive species? Now, we just try to tame it, and, and it's pretty hard to tame still, though, right? Bottom line is this. If, if you can't be trusted, entrusted to sow some seed, put some water on it, fertilize it on occasion during the summer months, high nitrogen, Bermuda loves nitrogen, and, and fertilize it once a month, put a lot of water on it, if you can't be entrusted with that, how in the world do you think you can go to a nursery and spend thousands of dollars and plant large trees if you can't take care of some Bermuda grass that anyone can grow? Have I lost everyone yet? We'll get to this. This all ties in with not fainting. So when, when God sees he can entrust you with a Bermuda lawn, and it looks better than all your neighbors, and it should, because you're a child of God. You're a reflection of God. Your lawn slash life should look better than the people who don't serve God. Stop talking about beat up, disgusted, busted, broke, all that kind of crap. Stop talking that way. Stop talking old, too. You ain't old. You're only old if you believe you're old. If you act like you're old and you think you're old, then you get old. We're the only nation in the world, almost one of the few nations in the world, that, that people pre-plan their death while they're still healthy. They forecast their feebleness when they're still healthy. People move from a, from a two-story house because, well, you know, when I get old, I won't be able to get up those stairs. Now, who says you won't be able to get up those stairs? Now, if you want a single level, that's different, but don't say that I've got to get out of here because uh, you don't want to hear this stuff, and I, got, I digress way too much now. See, that all, all of that is a faint-hearted attitude. It's a faint-hearted disposition. So they're going, God wants to give you some big trees. Come on, you've been serving him and living for him a long time. you got to graduate from Bermuda grass seed and get into some 60-inch box trees that already have fruit on them. See, that's the breakthroughs that you're actually praying for. You're not praying for seed breakthrough. You're praying for fruit. You're praying for a tree that's loaded down with fruit. We ain't got time to plant an orange tree from seed. Look at this. Get, let me get back. Let me, let me, did I help anyone with that, though? I will not charge you anything extra because I didn't plant any of that, not even in my notes. Anyway, look at this real quick like. Due season is coming, right? You take care of, of, of this level of your harvest. God will make sure you have big, 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 much bigger harvest, right? That's what I was trying to explain there. Your harvest is inevitable. Somebody say this. My harvest, My harvest. is inevitable. My harvest, by the grace of God and my faithfulness, will always increase over my lifetime. In Jesus' name, if you believe that, say amen and give God some praise for that, right? So he said, listen, a do is going to come if we faint not. So we can't faint. Remember that word? It means to enfeeble because there again, feebleness augments feebleness. 
That word, so to enfeeble means that when, when we, we actually can empower the feebleness within us. You can do one or two things. You can either empower your power within you, or you can empower your feebleness. And that's what that word in the, in the literal Greek language means. That's why Paul chose that specifically. Don't faint. Don't empower your feebleness. Why do you think the Bible says, let the weak say, I am strong? Don't ever say I'm weak. Now, earlier, yes, we have moments. We have flash moments of weaknesses. We have flash moments of maybe faint-heartedness. But it, it lasts about one one millionth of one second. It's an atom of time. You know the phrase, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye? That actually means in an, an atom of time. You, you got to split that thing and keep splitting that second down to where it's an atom of within a second. One, one, you know, th- there's no numerical demarcation and fraction that you could break that down into. So we got an atom of second. That's about how long you may feel feeble. Everyone say amen to that. That's only about how long. That's only how long you're, we're going to allow ourselves, right? It's kind of like that. You know, when, when you're through with your pity party and feeling sorry for yourself... Then encourage yourself, speak blessing over yourself, strength over you. Can I help you with this? Can, can I help you? This will help you so much all the days of your life. Stop waiting for somebody to do it for you. Now, we need to have people in our life who encourage us. We need to have good people to support us, loving people, kind people like, like all of you here today. Tell somebody, Pastor, talk about you now. Talking expressly about you. Kind, loving, gracious people who care for each other, right? We need those people in our life. Do not misunderstand. Everyone say amen. We need, we need thousands of people like that in our life, right? But at, simultaneously, you got to get to this point. you got to get to the point that you are your biggest fan. you got to get to the point that you are your biggest cheerleader you got to get to the point that, that you laugh at all of your own jokes. you got to get to the point that you are the only one that understands the conversation you're having with yourself. you just got to get to that point. But you do have to get to the place where you encourage yourself to. So we can't faint. Tell somebody we can't faint. Real quick, like now let me get in the heart of this. Let's move on to this pretty quickly here. Because there are three aspects, there are three levels, if you will, of that word faint. There are three levels of faint. Here's, here's the first level. It's weak or being weak or having weakness in your, in your thought life, your spirit, any area, right? Your soul. That weakness wants to come in and try to undermine the strength that you already have. You are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, I purposely left off the first word of that from the book of Ephesians. The first word is what? Be. Be. Ain't no be or not to be here. Will, you just sat on the bench right now. William Shakespeare. To be or not to be? Okay, anyway. So... Help me. So, 
be strong. It's not to be or not to, it's, it's yes. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So you are already strong. You just have to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And of course, you have to put on the whole armor and all, we know those scriptures, right? But it, it, it's up to you. It's imperative that you become strong. Because weakness, as we've mentioned, weakness will try to come. It, it's going to. Why do you think Jesus said, listen, I, I want you guys to get this. And Jesus said, listen, I want you to hear all of this. Don't shut me down when I first say the, the opening statement here. Peter, keep your mouth closed until I finish. You have a propensity to say things before I finish. I remember going, do what? No, 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 Myla, no, no. I remember this lady. You remember, oh, Sister Hazel? Oh, I shouldn't have mentioned her first name. I'm sure she's in heaven by now. If not, she'd be 184 probably by now. But anyway, and God bless her soul and God rest her soul. But anyway, and I don't, I'm not being disrespectful, but she, at the most misopportune time, she would say, Amen. Or hallelujah. You know, pastor would say, you know, people don't repent. They're going to die and go to hell. She, hallelujah. <laughs> Sister Hazel, hang on here. That's, that, that, that was a wrong cue card on that one. We don't, we don't give praise to Jehovah. That Okay, so when people are dying and going to hell. But anyway, part of it was she would nod off during service. I would... And, and she would wake up. So I, how, how do you know this stuff? I, I observed her. But anyway, she'd nod off during service. And when she would wake up, with, every time she would wake up, she would wake up by saying, glory to God. <laughs> I, I don't know why I told that story. But anyway, if that offends you, forgive me. I don't mean to offend you. But anyway. So, all the things we've seen in church. But anyway, so that weakness tries to come in because th this is what you're trying to overcome. This is what we, we don't want to faint. And, 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 and these, these are the roots of it, if you will. There's weakness, then there's discouragement. That discouragement then begins to try to come in and plague us. Because if we've been weakened a little bit, we have a little spiritually weakened condition, and then it's easier to succumb to any kind of discouragement. And especially when discouragement is protracted, then eventually it, it leads to fear. So when these things are working in one's life, it's easy to faint. Your faith is weakened, your joy is weakened, your hope is weakened, your drive is weakened. You know, he's just in a weakened condition. And the enemy, that's how he works, man. When he gets you down, he just, he just, he just keeps hammering. Because there's no referee in that arena to call him off except you and God. And so sometimes, you know, sometimes we're waiting for, well, maybe someone should realize it. No, 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 no. And people should. They should many times. But you got to begin to stand up too. So when, when all of that occurs and then, and then you get to the point, now this fear has almost stifled you. I want you to get this. It'll be on the screen here in just a second. And that is that continual discouragement, it will always lead to, it will get to the place that you will live in fear. When, when there is a state of continual discouragement, it will cause you to live in a state of fear. Discouragement brings 
that fear eventually into your life. Now, I've kind of exhausted this purposely because this helps to define the word from the Greek language. It helps to define the word faint. These things begin to work. And this is what happens there again. You start getting discouraged. Man, I, I, I have been, and I know, and I don't say this to be humorous, but I know you may think it, it's, it would be hard for me to get discouraged because 99.9% of the time, I'm always up, encouraged, positive, driven, self-motivated, all that. And I am about 99% of the time, maybe a little over 99% of the time. But, man, I've, I've gone through times of major discouragement. And uh, I, I'll just be honest. I, I, I really don't know how. In the natural, I don't know how I stay encouraged other than by the grace of God. I mean, even still, you know, even current, currently speaking, certain things I still face and look at and deal with on an ongoing basis. And you, you just get to the point, man, I'm really trailing off on this. I'm going to open up something here, and I, I, I need two weeks to explain this. Let me help you with this. Here's one of the ways you can stay encouraged, okay? When you start battling discouragement, stop thinking about it. Just stop thinking about it. Just basically ignore it. Oh, you should ignore the problem. Yeah, sometimes you need to. I'm not saying you got to just learn to ignore everything and hopefully, wishfully, maybe one of these one of these days it's all going to turn out and come come around how you really want it to and how you believe it will. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is this: you can't focus on what you can't fix. You can't focus on what you don't have the power to change. If you're doing your best in life. If you are doing your utmost best and then coupled with God's grace and his anointing in every area of your life, that's all you can do. So the things you, there again, you can't fix, you don't have the power to straighten out and, and, and wave a magic wand and see it all turn out how you would like for it to do, man, you got to put it to rest. You got to really, you just got to ignore it pretend like it doesn't even happen, pretend like it doesn't exist, and then when you do have to face it on those rare occasions, and then you deal with it best way you can, and then you solve what little you can, and come up with a, another maybe adaptive plan, whatever it takes, and then you leave that on the shelf. You, you, you've heard of, and I've even taught on it before, and it's the word called compartmentalize. I'm going to tell you something. If you don't learn to compartmentalize in life, you will, you will absolutely go crazy. You will, you will exhaust yourself, you will exhaust all of your emotions, all of your faith, you will wear yourself out, down, and you will, you will die prematurely. When people cannot learn to compartmentalize their life, meaning this, we all got some problems. Let me ask the question, let me ask the question, who here today has absolutely no issue you're dealing with? You know the only people that, that fall in that category? They're in heaven right now. So back to this, when I told, when I got sidetracked on Sister Hazel, when Jesus said, hey, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. You see, you see how I tie all this in? It, 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 I know. It, I know it amazes you. It's a gift. What can I say? To God be all the glory. So anyway, <laughs> so anyway I'm serious about that. But you know, 
You know, there's so many arrogant Christians. Oh, yeah, to God be all the glory. Oh, you are just, anyway, so that was a play and a spin on that. But you just got to get inside my mind sometimes, so don't, don't judge me. But anyway, because so, my heart's pure, my hands are clean. So anyway, back to this. So in this world, you're going to have some tribulation. Peter, don't say anything yet. In this world, Hazel, if you're asleep, say sleep. In this world, you will have some tribulation. Don't say hallelujah, Hazel. You will have some tribulation. Now, if Jesus said that, two things here. It's going to happen. Now, if he also said that, especially with the addendum to what he said, which I'm about to quote, which you're familiar with, that means it's going to happen. And that is, be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. So there again, in the world, here's tribulation. I've overcome it. You're going to overcome everything that this world throws at you. All the tribulation, all the trial, all the heartache, all the pain, all the suffering, all the hell, all the high water. You're going to overcome all of that. He said, so be happy. Be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. I got to give you this scripture. We got to get out of here. In just a few more minutes. I know time is flying, but we got to wrap it up here. Unless you want me to go long. Okay, good. You just gave me permission for 30 more minutes. Father, bless those three people. Look at this real quick, like. Look at this. In order not to faint, you got to project your faith out there in the future. Tying in this compartmentalized issue. You ever read about David? That's a given, right? We all know pretty much, we all, you know, you, you've been a Christian at all, even non-Christians, they know a little bit about his life. They know he killed a giant and slept with Bathsheba. They at least know that, right? <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, most Christians know maybe um, one more thing about him, and then some Christians really know their Bible, know a few more things, and those who really, really know. Anyway, they, they've studied his whole life. But anyway, he went through some stuff, would you not say? David, probably unbeknownst to him, just by the grace of God and, and the spiritual gift of his life, he learned to compartmentalize stuff. Uh, you, you, you really study his life? I mean, he has his own son and a vast army. Because, you know, Solomon had the vast majority of the Israeli army. They, they, they went with Solomon. Uh, they, they, they went with Absalom, Right? So Absalom is hunting his, his own father, going to kill him, because he wants to be king. I mean, Absalom's doing a lot of despicable things. We won't get into all that kind of stuff. Guy, guy was twisted, twisted by all means, man. So and he's just desecrating his father and his father's heritage and legacies, desecrating God and the things of God. I mean, just, just he, was, he was a vile guy, just a vile. So don't feel sorry for Absalom. Don't feel sorry for him when he dies. Oh, I ruined the story? Oh, I'm sorry, I haven't, re haven't read it yet? Okay. Well, if you ever watch the Titanic, I won't tell you how it ends. But anyway, so, so, so Absalom, just this vile guy, and he's going after his dad. And, and David's fleeing for his life. I mean, this is no small thing. He's fleeing for his life. And, when, and, and, and when, you, when you understand the full scope of David's life, chronologically speaking, and of course even spiritually speaking, you begin to connect all these dots, and he wrote a lot of psalms during that era too. 
And then you notice this. There were times he was completely disconnected what was going on. Now, was he disconcerned? No. Was, what, was, was he taking it light? No. But there were times he just completely unplugged from that. It's like, you know what? That problem is going to be there tomorrow. Right now, I'm going to enjoy this good meal. And I'm not letting anyone, anyone or anything ruin it because I didn't invite them. I didn't invite it. I didn't invite that. I didn't invite the issue to come and ruin my meal. So we're going to enjoy this meal. We're going to enjoy it in peace. And tomorrow we'll deal with that thing. So see, that alone helps you, helps you deal with that faint heartedness. So David, he's projecting his faith way out there. Psalm 20, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't know this one by memory, you need to know this one big time. I'm sure you probably do, though, if you've been saved more than two days. Psalm 27, verse 13, David said this. I would have fainted. Use the word faint. I would have fainted. I would have gotten faint. What Paul mentioned soon, Galatians. Millenniums apart, David said, man, I, I, I understand this. I understand this. I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You got to get stuff like that so deep in your spirit that when you get attacked seven ways from sideways, that Psalm 27, 13 comes into your spirit. And you realize that David was there too. Matter of fact, not taking anyone's problems lightly, or not even mine, but in many regards, he was in it deeper than we ever have been and probably ever will be. And not just Absalom, just so many other things in his life. So if he would have fainted, what countered it? His faith. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our If we are ever going to accomplish anything in life and not to faint, we have to have projection faith. you got to project it out there to realize that what's brought you this far is by the grace of God, His providential care for you, and also your faith. Your faith brought you to this point, and your faith will see you home. You know, I've heard that in a song one time. I think it's called Amazing Grace. Twas grace that brought me safe this far. Because remember, faith is a grace thing. The reason why you and I have faith is because of the grace of God. It's a, it's a gratuity of God. It's an unmerited gift that God gave us in order to have the faith to believe that He is a God of all gods and that He can fulfill our desires within our hearts according to His word. So when David said, I would have fainted, but here's the secret. I still believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You need to tell a few people around you, keep believing that you're going to see God's goodness. Keep believing you're going to see God's goodness. Keep believing you're going to see God's goodness. I, 
I need to wrap this up. I, gotta, I, I, gotta give, I wanted to give this to you last week, and I, I, I cannot let another week go by. Deuteronomy chapter 20, real quick like. So there again, have that type of faith. Because David, appreciate his humility, his vulnerability when he said, look, hey, I, I know what it's like. I, I would have probably fainted. But my faith caused me to see before I saw it. To see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believed in spite of what I was feeling, in spite of what I was seeing, and in spite of what I was not seeing that I really needed to see. I believed in spite of all of that, even though the weakness and the discouragement and even a little bit of the fear tried to come in. And it would try to resurge and recycle through me and through my spirit and through my mind on occasion. What kept me grounded, what kept me keep driving the faint-heartedness away was that I kept believing that God is going to turn this around, that by His goodness and by His love for me and by His care and concern for me, I believe that I'm going to see the goodness of God overwhelm me in ways I can't even imagine. I haven't always done everything right. Haven't always said everything right. Haven't always been the epitome of an example of a child of God. But one thing David knew and one thing I know is this, is that by God's grace and God's mercy, he will, be, he will take care of those who have faith and who believe in him and who will just step out and just keep doing what he's called them to do. So when you realize that, listen, God's goodness is going to bring this thing to pass if you just have faith in that. Let me give this to you. This this will give you some some ammunition this week, okay? I've already given you an arsenal. But anyway, notice this. Let me just increase your arsenal. Deuteronomy chapter 20. And really, that's what this is. It's an arsenal. It's an arsenal against doubt, against fear, against worry, against unbelief, against sickness against anything contrary to that which is good this is an arsenal against that you gotta you gotta get it in here you gotta get it in here deuteronomy 20 verse 1 when i go to battle if god said listen you're, you're gonna have some battles and he said this before they went They were still on the east bank of the Jordan River. And God said, I I have ordained you to cross the Jordan and to inhabit all of that territory, Israel, what we commonly call Israel. It's even a much, much bigger geographical area and landmass than it even currently is, what is known as Israel. But anyway, that's another topic. Um. So he's just preparing that. That's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. So God's speaking through his prophet and servant Moses saying, tell my people this. When you go to battle, somebody say you're going to go to battle. You may already be in one. You may have come out of one. But bottom line, there are battles. Now, can I help you with this? Can I help you with this? You can't make everything a battle. If you make everything a battle in your life, you will never win the war. You will never win the campaign, okay? Every day in your life, things can't be a continual battle. It will wear you out. 
it completely exhausts and taps your faith, your emotions. Things can't always be rough and challenging and all of that. You know, if they are, you just need to make some adjustments. Win the lottery, that'll help a lot. But anyway, <laughs> you need to make adjustments when things, you know, if, 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 if things are always beating you up, figuratively speaking, you know, if, if you are just always going through, it seems like it's one bad after another, after another, after another. It's like, no, 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 wait. Time out. I'm going to put myself in a compartment, in a think compartment, and an assessment compartment, and I want to assess this situation. How can, how can I get to a place where not everything is a battle? Sometimes we make battles that aren't even battles. You get too worked up, too stressed out. I ain't preaching to you, I'm preaching myself, preaching to all of us too, but I'm, I'm leading the class on that one, is that sometimes like, you know, we, we formulate stuff and make it into a battle, it's like, chill out, it's all right, it, it, you know, it's, it's not life, if it's not life or death, calm down, turn to somebody and say, if it's not life or death, calm down. Don't, don't make it a battle, okay? Just don't, don't make it a battle. You can't go around trying to give everyone a piece of your mind that doesn't have the same kind of mind that you have. You give all, you, you give all your mind away. And Lord has to give you another one. But anyway, after a few times, he says, you coming back again? But anyway, I say that from experience. But anyway, so when you go to battle against your enemies... And you see horses and chariots, because see, is the, the Israelite army, they didn't have horses and chariots. That's why when you read the Word of God and it says, go all the way back to the book of Exodus, throughout the book of, uh, of uh, Psalms, and even, even Solomon used it in the book of Proverbs about horse and chariots. You know, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. In the greater context, that's what it's simply saying is that, look, look, this Egyptian army came upon us in horse and chariots. We didn't have anything but God. But God caused us to be victorious over the biggest army in the world. So, so that's what God is saying. Listen, I, I, that's why, that's why. Can, can I help you with this? I'm just helping you guys so much. I don't know how you can contain yourself right now. I'm going to start peeling you off the ceiling here in a few minutes. But anyway, so do you, do you realize this? The best position you can be in with God is that you are outnumbered. You're outnumbered, you're outmanned, you're outclassed, you're outfinanced, everything. That's the best place for you to be in, in God and with God. Oh, we want to see the miracles, we want to experience them, we, 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 you know, we, want to, we want to tell about them, and we want to have them to where we can write a book and, and make, make the Christian television network sec, you know, uh, circuit and all that kind of stuff. And, and, but the thing is, we, we, don't, we don't want to ever be outnumbered. We don't want to be outmanned, outclassed, outfinanced, out anything. We, we want to be in the majority. That's what's plaguing Christianity in this nation. They want to be, they want to be in the majority. We got to be cool. So now we no longer dumb down the gospel. We just, we just basically dismiss the gospel. That's what's happening now in America. And it's so easy because... Over the last 20, 25 years, Christians have been asleep at the wheel. They don't even know their Bible whatsoever. So it's real easy, real easy for it to happen. It's one of the reasons why there's going to be an extremely great falling away the Bible prophesies about. 
So anyway, oh, back to this. I digress again. Forgive me, but there again, there again. I'll give you your money back if you didn't like this today. You see the horse and chariots and the people more than you. Don't be afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with you. He brought you out of the land of Egypt, didn't he? So God is reminding us, right? Brought you out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be when you are come nigh unto the battle that the priest, the man of God, the prophet, the apostle, whatever I choose to bring into your life at that time, the pastor, he's going to come before you go to battle and he's going to, and he's going to speak some things over you. So before you go to battle on Monday morning, he's going to approach you Stand before you, you're going to face him, he's going to face you, and before you go out to the world on Monday, he's going to speak some things over you. Remember Braveheart? Nations did that for millenniums. Even if they were kind of ungodly nations, they knew that, you know what, hey, you know that, 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 that one guy that, that uh, preaches way too long and talks too loud sometimes and... Uh, let's get him over here before we go fight those heathen and let's at least have him pray for us. You know, because even the heathen in that given arm say, yeah, I'm, I'm down with that, man. I need all the help we can get here, you know. So anyway, you know, the, as the old adage goes, there are no atheists in foxholes. There are no atheists on the front lines. But anyway, so the man of God, he stands before the people in, of course, climate-controlled building, and he says, and he says to the people, O Israel, you approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint. So I'm purposely reading from the King James Version. Let not your hearts faint, which is the actual most correct rendering here from the Hebrew language, the word faint. Let not your hearts faint. And he kept going. You know, I've gone all over the place today. I know I go long. I know I preach long. It's easy for me to do. It's just easy for me to do because of your heart and your spirit of receptivity. And this may sound arrogant, but my knowledge in this. It's, you know, someone say, oh, that, that was an arrogant statement. It's not arrogant when you're stating a fact. And by God's grace and the desire he put in my heart for decades and decades, some, some much decades longer than some people have even been alive under the sound of my voice here, that, that I, I love this and I know it well. That's not arrogant. It's just, it's just the truth. I look at it this way. If you're going to be in a given vocation, of course, this is more than a vocation. We know it's a heavenly calling. But you, you at least need to know it. You at least need to know it. If you, you know, you can't get out there and fake it. Like, the old, like that old adage, is that you ever read a bad resume? You can't go and fake it and then, and then get into it and say, oh, you know, I really don't know what I'm doing. See, in the construction world, it's real easy. The litmus test is this. You can tell if someone knows what they're doing in the first five minutes. Now, see, in the corporate world, the office world, they can, they can hide for 18 months. They can hide out in their cubicle for a good year at least before someone realizes, you know what, this, this person ain't done nothing. 
They've been shuffling emails for 14 months. But anyway, so I get off on that. It's so easy for me to preach long. And God bless you for your patience. But that's why I do it, because you are here because you, you want this. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that alone, not because of me, but because of your heart, your spirit. When I say you guys are some of the greatest Christians in the world, I mean that with all of my heart. And others who aren't here today who call this their home church, by all means, they fall in that category. We are not exclusive of anyone, right? So I mean that with all my heart. And one of the reasons is because you guys get this. Now, let me add this. Here's one of the reasons why I go long. Not because I know this and it's so easy for me to go to a lot of different places, and I still miraculously tie it all in most of the time. So it's because of you. You're pulling on my spirit. That's, that's the term. You're pulled because you want the Word of God. You know so many places. That's one of the reasons. I, I, don't, I don't even like to preach anywhere else anymore. God bless. Uh, but it's like I can tell. They don't want to hear this. Not only do they not want to hear it, they have no idea what I'm talking about. I might as well quote the third act of Macbeth. Back to old Will again. Pull Will off the bench and quote Macbeth. And they would say, wow, that was really good. What book is that found in? And I'll say, it's the third book of Moses. And they'll go, man, I need to read that one. You know, so it's like, and I shouldn't be this way probably, but so far the Lord hadn't corrected me of it. I don't want to waste my time in those environments. And then I can't go somewhere to placate people. I can't go somewhere to play games with people. I can't go somewhere and, and dumb this gospel down. I have too much integrity and I have too much knowledge. So I, I just can't do that anymore. I can't do it. And life is too short and the clock is ticking in my life even. I'm going to be around for a long time by all means. But it's like I don't want to do that. I'd rather spend time with those I love, with those who want to hear this. I'd rather spend time, and if I'm not here, I want to spend time with my family, with my grandkids especially. Because I, I, I'm, I, I'm their hero. Well, at least to my grandkids. But anyway, so, no, my whole family, I know that. But anyway, here's why I also go along, because tying all that with, with that, is that you guys love this. Now let me add this. Because, now, you know, granted, you're, you're, you'll catch some sound bites, be it through Christian television, Christian radio, and praise God for that. Never against it by any means. Just some of what's, anyway, I don't say anything else. So you'll get a couple of sound bites through the week, right? Maybe even, you know, some people share scriptures with you. That's great. But you ain't going to be back here for seven days. Now, some of you won't be back here. Some of you only come about half the time. And I don't say that to be mean. It's, it's just the truth. Either your schedule or, you know, you get abducted every, you know, so 26 weeks you're abducted out of a year. So I've always thought, thought, you know, I think I'll start doing that. I think I'll just, I'll just show up half the time. So anyway, uh, so you see how important you're missed when you're not here. But anyway, anyway, back to this. Yes, that, I better get back to this. Is that it's going to be seven days before you hear the word 
as far as in rapt attention, as far as in this environment. As far as you prepared your spirit prayerfully beginning last night, definitely at least by this morning, you get in here, you prepare it through praise and worship. So, you, so now, and you start hearing the word of God, which I can tell, though, and I can sense this in the spirit, I can tell my time is up, really, because there's a natural application here too, and I can tell that, so I need to really wrap this thing up. But seven, it's going to be seven days before you hear something that's really going to build you up as a whole, right? As you know where I'm coming from in that. It's not me. It's just we got seven days. We get busy. How many, th- how many think you're going to have a busy week this coming week? How many of you are going to realize this? You, you'll, you'll turn 45 degrees. It's going to be Wednesday. You'll turn 78 degrees, and it's going to be Saturday night. That fast. And we'll be back here again, right? You got, you, got a, you got a full, how many of you got a packed schedule this week? How many of you are going to have to deal with people who are, who are Debbie Downers, Dave Downers, Nellie Negatives, Nancy Negatives, and all that, right? You're going to be dealing with people like that, right? How, how, many of you, how many of you are going to have to get some groceries, have to get some gas, might have to walk in a convenience store, might have to go do a little shopping? You're going to deal with people, or on the phone, you're going to deal with people who aren't going to be all that nice. You're going to deal with people. You're going to walk by people, and you'll overhear conversations. You're not, you're not eavesdropping. You're going to hear conversations that are filled with hate. They're filled with negativity. They're trashing this person, trashing that person. How many, how many of you think that's going to happen this week? I know for certain it's going to happen. How many, of you, how many of you are going to have to face something that you don't even know you're going to face right now? You never know. So I want to give this to you. we got to get out of here. So the priest... The man of God, he would appear before them, and he would say this, don't, don't dare, don't dare let your heart faint. Then he goes into fear not, so he says, make sure the fear isn't coupled so your heart doesn't faint. Do not tremble, neither be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you. He goes with you to fight for you uh, against your enemies. To save you. For more information about our teaching resources, visit our website at ciclive.com.